This is KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, May 31st, 2022. I'm Claudio Mendoza, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. What would our state be like if we had more representatives? The California Report's Saul Gonzalez talks to California political columnist Joe Matthews, who thinks hundreds more elected officials should be in Sacramento representing smaller districts. Hydrogeologist Steve Baker is back this week in conversation with Paul Emery about La Nina and how it might affect the Golden State's agriculture. And as a bonus, how feeding seaweed to cows may reduce their methane burps. We close with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The results of a race to decide who sits on the Compton City Council in South LA County have been overturned following an election rigging scandal involving the winner. Councilman Isaac Alvan won the race last year by a single vote, but a judge determined that four of the votes cast in the June election were cast by people who did not live in the district, meaning runner-up Andre Spicer was the rightful winner. The judge ruled that Spicer would replace Galvan in office, although it's not immediately clear when that will happen. Following the election, the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office filed charges against Galvan, alleging that he conspired with a primary opponent to direct voters from outside the district to cast ballots in the election. He was also accused of trying to bribe election officials. And staying on politics, Election Day is a little more than a week away in California, and many of you listening have likely already cast a ballot, either by mail or at an election center in your county. So here's a question for you. Whether your favorite candidate wins or loses, do you think your interests and concerns will be well represented in government? And will your council member or supervisor or state legislator really understand issues in your particular community or neighborhood? Well, probably not, says Joe Matthews, who writes about California politics and is president of the Global Forum on Modern Direct Democracy. Matthews believes that at all levels of government, we just have too few elected officials representing too many Californians. He calls it a crisis of representation. The crisis of representation is that we don't have enough representation. And the way to get it is to have more representatives. We just have very few. You see this at the local level where our big cities have very small city councils. You know, L.A. having nearly four million people having 15 council members. So everyone represents more than 200,000 people. That's insane. You know, our, our, our state legislature is the smallest and the least representative in the country in that, you know, we only have 80 assembly members. So that's about 40 million Californians. That's 500,000 per. That's way more populous than anywhere else, and it's five times the national average. Uh, our senators are 40, so it's a million per. That's, you know, that's nuts. That's actually more people than members of Congress represent. So you think there's a shortage of politicians? No, I would say there's a shortage of representatives. In having that structure, we've made, we've sort of empowered politicians, right, and a relatively small number of them to represent large numbers of us. If we hate politicians so much, you know, we might want to have more representatives. That's the, I think, the sort of central insight. When it comes to Sacramento in particular, you know, we have combined, we have 120 members of the Assembly and the State Senate. To the nearest 10 or 20, 
how many people do you think should be in those bodies to adequately represent Californians? Um, 800, 800. I'd love one body, one legislative body, not two, you know, bicamerals just give you more dark corners to strangle good ideas, but 800 people. Do you think there's real appetite to expand legislative assemblies and bodies? I mean, do you think this is what the people want to see? I think in the United States, I would say at the moment, no. But I think that reflects the really troubled and disordered mindset of Americans when it comes to democracy and politics. Americans talk about saving their current system as though they were saving democracy. And of course, our current system is not particularly democratic. Certainly, the higher you go up, the less democratic it is. There should be so much re- many representatives that it becomes an expectation that people feel that at some point in their life, in some small way, they will be an elected representative. Not unlike the same way that, I mean, maybe we dread it a little, but there's an expectation you might serve on a jury at some point in your life. It should be that. All right, Joe Matthews, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. My pleasure, Saul. Again, that's columnist and California political observer Joe Matthews. Let's turn to energy and the environment. There are growing concerns about the potential health and safety risks from more than a dozen leaking oil wells in Bakersfield. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi explains. State inspectors say at least five of the 13 wells are emitting methane at high enough levels that could either be explosive or cause serious health risks. Environmental groups say along with possible pollutants filling the air in nearby neighborhoods, there's also the threat of a major explosion or fire. But Kevin Albertson, deputy chief with the Bakersfield Fire Department, told a recent community meeting that while they continue to monitor the situation, they've deemed it to be safe. Upon uh, monitoring over multiple days and the two communities that surrounded the wells, we never found any LEL or methane readings around those areas. State officials say they've capped the leaking wells, but not everyone who lives in those communities is convinced that the threat has ended. Who pays for the individuals who are sick, the children and mothers who are pregnant that are being exposed? Who's responsible for that? Because this isn't a one-time thing. Has there been monitoring for something other than methane? Uh, at the wellheads and, you know, closer to the neighborhoods? And what specific procedures is there to know if a well casing is failing or not? Because to my understanding, the well casing was a, uh, issued in one of the wells. That was Rosanna Esparza and Cesar, who did not give his last name during the community meeting. While many of the concerns are on the surface level, there's also the issue of a possible buildup of methane underground. Uduak Joe Entuk, head of the California Geologic Energy Management Division, or CalGEM, says inspectors are monitoring that as well. There's no indication of high pressure. The gauges on there, which are new and calibrated, tell us what the pressure is below. Now, this is an old oil field that's been de-energized. There's no gas cap. There's no uh, you know, potential for a, a well blowout. Entuk says the goal eventually is to permanently seal these oil wells. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. Stanfordbloodcenter.org. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, May 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Looking briefly at regional weather, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, dry and breezy northerly winds today with lighter winds and warm and dry conditions heading our way tomorrow. Tonight, Grass Valley and Nevada City will be clear with a low around 54. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 83, and Wednesday evening, partly cloudy with a low around 59 degrees. In Truckee and the Lake Tahoe region, a warming trend brings us high temperatures nearly 10 degrees above average this week. Tonight, the Tahoe-Truckee area will be mostly clear with a low around 37. Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 73. Wednesday night, partly cloudy with a low around 41 degrees. And for our listeners in Sacramento, Woodland, and the surrounding valley, tonight clear with a low around 57. Wednesday, sunny and hot with a high near 94. Wednesday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 60 degrees. Relief from the heat should arrive late this week as a cooling trend is expected that may bring potential widespread showers to the area this weekend. You are listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Is he feeding vegetarian sushi to cows? Well, maybe not. But in tonight's water news, hydrogeologist Steve Baker tells us about a scientist who is testing whether feeding seaweed to cows can reduce their climate warming burps. This water news with Steve Baker is supported by clear water and filtration on rough and ready highway Grass Valley. Well, we're going to talk about California today. Anyway, our recent temperatures have been very nice and yeah. and nice, comfortable warming coming up. And But the word is out that something weird is up with the La Nina conditions in mm-hmm. our weather. Oh, what's yeah. up? Well, what's up is La Nina is forecasted. Uh, it was forecasted last month, and it's setting a record. It's the third one in a row. Highly unusual that that happens. Uh, Usually La Nina's happen about 28% of the time. And that was measured between 1950 and 1999. But now you take the last 25 years and you look at that information. And what you find is La Nina's around half the time, 50%. So it's happening much more quickly. And what's really strange is our best computer climate change models, they don't predict it. Everybody's wondering, why is this happening right now? So usually when La Nina conditions kick in, the Pacific surface waters of the ocean are cooler near California, and they're warmer out towards, towards um, Asia. And then the polar, what, what results is the polar jet stream, which that blows west to, to east, it starts to move further north. Imagine a, a hose, you know, that blows from Hawaii to the California. With that hose during La Nina, is up further north, and now it's blowing uh, all that weather to Washington and Canada and Alaska, and we're getting, we're high and dry and hot. 
So uh, that that's the you know that's the condition we're dealing with. The economic ag hit, the agricultural hit during a La Nina event. Man, it's it's at least or actually almost twice as great, if not three times as great as compared to an El Nino condition. So it's not good for our food supply when it's like this. Well, okay. Well, it's hitting us in California. And what 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 are we going to do about it? What is California's plan for this? Well, I mean, there's lots of things, but one thing in particular, I don't know if people realize this, but uh, we are blessed here in Northern California. I think uh, it seems to me that we're not going to be hit that hard on this uh, this drought as compared to the southern part of our state. Southern California uh, recently, they nixed the desal plan for Orange County. And instead, what they're doing is slapping on some really tight water restrictions down there to be quite careful because they do not have enough water down there. There are three things that really went into this uh, nixing of the desal plant, the new desal plant. One is, of course, there's a water demand. And somehow that has to be satisfied. People need water every day. But also there's environmental and habitat justice issues to be worked out. And that's where I think it went a little sideways. Uh, because, you know, there is a downside to desal uh, production also of water. And then uh, availability of, of power. We, we know because of the Ukrainian-Russian war that uh, we're all connected globally. And that means that our, our fuel, our energy is also uh, going to change as as those political things change. So desal lost out. Uh, so what we're looking at now in California is the banning uh, of ornamental lawns at businesses and commercial properties. And then governments, they're saying, hey, reduce the water by 20%. So in a statewide basis, Governor Newsom put out a press release saying that all Californians need to step it up and use less water. It's really hard to escape the impacts of having less water in our environments. Um, is that correct? Oh, I mean, that's really true. In fact, all those hardy Pacific Crest Trail backpackers, they know. That's a totally different perspective, but they can see changes happening. Uh, the, the Pacific Crest Trail, that's 2,600 miles long. And what they're seeing is less snow higher temperatures or seeing wildfires that they have to anticipate. We never had to anticipate things like that before. And then those smoky days. Imagine what that's like, walking through, hiking through all that smoke high up in the forest. Um, it's, 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 it's a problem and, and a developing problem. And springs and creeks may not be flowing as they once did. So as time progresses, I think we're going to have to be way more careful. There will be risk of, of heat stroke because the temperature will become higher. Maybe, maybe right now it's marginally okay, but as, as we enter into those more consistent triple-digit summer temperatures, it's going to be a problem. So, you know, you, you ask yourself, so, hey, if I'm traveling 2,600 miles, uh, am I going to have water each day? Will I be able to stop and fill up my containers of water? Well, there must be some interesting stories about uh, how we're dealing with this and how we're combating it. Do, do you have any for us? Well, there is one. Uh, there's a fellow named Luke Gardner. He's a scientist down there at Moss Landing uh, Marine Lab. Now, he studies uh, native seaweed. And more recently, uh, actually it was 2014, he took over his father-in-law's ranch, okay, with his wife. And that meant that he has 100 head of cattle. And so what he, he is doing now is he's merging the aquacultural scientific expertise that he has with those cows and then with climate change. He's putting it all together. What he's trying to do is this. He's trying to help the cows not burp quite so much methane. Oh, 
Okay, that's his mission. It's kind of a gut biome project. Sounds, sounds like that to me. A single cow will burp up to 200 pounds of methane in a year. Okay, that's, that's surprising. I didn't realize that because of all the stomachs that they have and, and the way it works. And when you think about methane versus CO2, methane's a lot more potent than, as a greenhouse gas and carbon dioxide. It's 80 times more, more warming impact as compared to CO2. So um, when you take, let's see, 1.2 million dairy cows just in California, then let's add another million of that, okay, so, because those are the beef cattle. That's 2.4 million times 200 pounds per year of methane. That's a lot of gas. That's a lot of methane, a lot of greenhouse gas. And that actually can help significantly uh, in the, within that ag industry contribute to reducing or, or meeting Newsom's goals of having, uh, you know, 40% reductions of these times of emissions by 2030. So I hope he does it. And look, look for that seaweed that could be grown more locally and, and uh, make the, all those cows a whole lot happier. Well, who would have known? <laughs> Thank true. you so much. Um, look forward to speaking with you in a couple of weeks. You bet. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. I'm Paul Emery for KVMR. The Bitcoin crash is the focus of this week's Money Matters. Mark Cunaberti does his best to explain the ins and outs of the Cybercoin universe in this week's commentary. My name's Mark Cunaberti. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. After nine straight weeks of a Bitcoin decline, now the experiment that combined math and software to get a digital currency to behave like the U.S. dollar crashed in dramatic fashion, posing the biggest threat yet to develop a decentralized cyber currency. Terra USD, or what is called a UST, is another in a long line of attempted cyber currencies called cybercoins, or tokens, the most celebrated of which is Bitcoin. Terra USD was called a stablecoin, which unlike its thousands of counterparts, which include Bitcoin, was developed to provide a stable-valued vehicle. Investors in cybercoins know of the wild swings that cybercoins may have. UST, the Terra USD, was an attempt to provide a coin that would retain its value at par, which is to say to remain worth one US dollar at all times. Terra USD, an algorithmic stablecoin, used a variety of methodologies and incentives to attempt to maintain its peg one-to-one to the US dollar. It attempts to accomplish this by working with the crypto token in the same ecosystem. This token called Luna could then be swapped for this UST and vice versa. This back-and-forth swapping by traders supposedly keeps the price of UST or Terra USD where it should be, which is walking in lockstep to the US dollar. The thinking about developing a stable coin like a UST, which is Terra USD, is to enable crypto traders to make transactions in differing cyber coins easily and quickly without needing to leave the digital asset universe. It was also used to alleviate intermediaries and the concerns that the value of their coins would fluctuate when trades or swaps were executed within the platforms. If it all sounds a little gobbledygookish, it's not you. I have found 
Unless one is a full-on member of the computer geek squad, the world of cyber coins will be a bit more confusing than what meets the eye. Even for an experienced Wall Street alumni trader like myself, even though millions of people trade and write about the world of cybercoin, there is much we plain folks just simply don't understand about exactly what is going on here and can grasp all the nuances about the cybercoin universe. A month ago, the future looked bright for Terra USD, until last Monday, that is, when all of the mechanisms that were supposed to keep Terra USD stable were anything but. Terra USD fell off the dollar US peg to 60 cents on that day and reached a further low of around 20 cents in another crash on Wednesday. Pretty rocky stuff for a coin called Stablecoin, isn't it? The event took down the market cap of Terra USD from about $18.5 billion to a mere $5 billion. The Luna backbone, which the Terra USD is based on, also avalanched. Nikita Fadif head of crypto fund Fasanara Digital, which says they de-risked its position in the advance of the crash, quote, everything broke there. It was full capitulation. Exactly why all of the so-called stable UST mechanisms failed Terra USD remains unclear, and conspiracies abound, but in this analyst's opinion, when vast amounts of money are floating around in cyberspace, this whole fiasco comes as no surprise. I know there are a lot smarter people than me when it comes to the net and the cyber coin playground, so it's no place I want to play and put my hard-earned money, and I doubt the average Joe Schmo should be doing it either. But hey, that's just my opinion, right? The move is on to provide more backing to Terra USD to once again stabilize its value, with figures around the 1.5 billion mark being tossed about. But since none of this is the government backing of any government, I view the entire Cybercoin universe and its multiple trading platforms to access it, one big Wild West show with landmines everywhere, rife with amateurs and novice traders, and run by techno-wizards of unknown repute. The whole thing, at least to me, reminds me of a three-ring circus, complete with the three-card Monty game, where everybody that plays never seems to win, at least for very long, that is. With the latest collapse of the cyber coin called Stablecoin, what was supposed to be the epitome of why people flock to the Bitcoin game, which is autonomous stability and safety, if some people still elect to play in the Cybercoin universe after this whole thing, it will be one of the most baffling investor manias I have ever seen. But then again, that's just me. Watching the market so you don't have to, that's another edition of Money Matters. The views expressed here are my opinions only. Do not necessarily represent the opinions of this media, its staff members or underwriters, nor is meant as investment advice, nor in a solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. I hold a BA in economics with honors in 1979 and California insurance license OL34249. My name's Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening. That's our newscast for this final evening of May 2022. KVMR gets support from Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support serving Northern California counties and San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com
and the state of California and the California Earned Income Tax Credit, informing Nevada County's Hispanic population that filing taxes can support the immigration process, provide access to public programs, and also yield possible tax credits and returns. More information, mycaleitc.org. Thanks very much for listening and for supporting your community radio station. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a good evening and join me right here tomorrow for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank you.